so we are jumping uh, into a new study as we wrap up our our summer reading list uh, that we've been in uh, all summer long, where we've we've done overviews of specific books of the Bible, and um, as we look at Jonah, um, of course everybody knows about the big fish, but uh, it really is much much more than a fish story, and. As we go through this book and as we look at Jonah, uh, what we need to really understand is that in the person of Jonah, we really find ourselves. We really see ourselves. Um, the way we so often approach things, the, the way we approach life, the way we approach people, um, the way we even uh, approach and view God at times. Uh, very, very often, uh, he is a picture of us. And beyond that, we also see a beautiful and consistent picture of God and His grace and His consistency when we are incredibly inconsistent and and His faithfulness when we are faithless. We see that about God. And in that, we can draw tremendous encouragement and strength and hope. And hopefully... It will turn us back in the right direction when we become like Jonah always was throughout this short little book. And there's just so much uh, in this book that, that will speak to our lives if we will be open to that. So I pray as we go through this book and as we look at Jonah and what we can learn from him, I pray that you will be receptive to the Holy Spirit to take what you read and to apply it personally to right where you're at. Uh, we all need that. All right, so with that being said... Let's uh, dive in. Good, good. You're awake. You're with me. We'll dive into to Jonah. Um, and the thing about Jonah, uh, this is the first time that he's given any detail in the Scriptures. He appears very, very briefly in 2 Kings. And he's already a prophet. So, I mean, this, this account uh, in Jonah is not his first role as prophet. He's already been that. And he actually ministered to King Jeroboam II, uh, which was one of the worst kings of Israel. And uh, he was actually um, used by, by God to, uh, to go before that king and, uh, and give him some specific revelation. So we know that Jonah has already been serving God as a prophet, as a prophet to Israel. What's unique about Jonah, though, is it is not a message or a revelation or a challenge or a prophecy to a king of Israel or a king of Judah, which is what most of the prophets did. They prophesied to the rulers over Judah or Israel and to the people of Judah or Israel. And it was a message coming through them to those those types of people. This book, Jonah, is actually really all about the prophet himself. This is all about Jonah and God's message to him and what he did with that and what he didn't do with it. So that, there's something unique about that. Uh, and so we, we see a lot about what's going on in the prophet's heart and in his own mind and in his own life that he has to deal with that we don't find anywhere else. So it, it's really unique in that way. And so... With that, a little bit of a a context into the man, Um, let's just pick up right with Jonah chapter 1, and verse 1 says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, and here's what the, the message was, the word, the calling was, Get up, 
go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. Nineveh was a great city, not in the terms of it being a good city. Great does not describe its morality or spirituality. Great in terms of its prominence. Great in terms of its influence, its size. It was, at this point, one of the largest cities in the world. It was an epicenter. It was a giant powerhouse for economics and art and culture and music. But it was also the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which at this point and even after was the most wicked, violent, gruesome, evil empire on planet Earth. And they were the sworn enemy of Israel. So that's what you have to understand, what we all need to understand, uh, kind of behind the scenes with this call from God to Jonah. And so Jonah, being an Israelite, and especially being part of the northern kingdom, you can kind of pick up a little bit that he is nationalistic to the core. You know, he's like a patriot. And all that had been going on already between Israel and Assyria, and all that they did to the people that they conquered, how ruthless they were, all that has to play in to Jonah's mindset and to Jonah's heart. The other thing that has to be understood is that it had already been prophesied that Assyria would fall, that God would judge them, that he would deal with them, that he would repay them for all their evil. So all that's going on in in his mind and his heart. Remember, he's a prophet. He's already a servant of God. He knows these things. And here, God comes to him, as has been the practice, says, Noah, I've got a job for you. I've got another mission for you, Jonah. I've got something I want you to do. I've got something I want you to speak. Jonah, probably, I mean, if it were me, if I were Jonah, I'd be like, okay, I'm used to this, all right? What do you want me to go say to the king? You know, me and Jerubbabel, yeah, we're we're on pretty good terms. I'm ready. Well, it's not not really Jerubbabel this time. Oh? Yeah, um, I actually want you to go to Nineveh. To what? To, To Nineveh? That Nineveh? Yeah, that Nineveh, that great city Nineveh. And what I want you to do is go and proclaim to them my impending judgment on them if they don't repent of their evil. And that's really what was wrapped up in that statement when when God says to preach against it because their evil has come up before me. It wasn't Jonah go pronounce judgment. It was Jonah go preach to them that there is a chance for them to repent. And if they do... I won't judge them. I won't wipe them out. But if they don't respond, that's exactly what's going to happen. So it was a chance for the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, the sworn enemy of Israel, the most evil people on earth to hear about grace. It was a chance for them to hear about mercy. It was a chance for them to hear that there is a God of justice and judgment and wrath But he's also a God of love and of great compassion and of faithfulness. And Jonah understood that. He knew that's what was was going on here. He knew he was being sent to preach repentance, not brimstone and fire and fury. And obviously, Jonah wasn't exactly thrilled with that. 
He wasn't okay with that. That's not the message he wanted to be able to present to the people of Nineveh. If he was going to go to Nineveh, he wanted to say, boom, the judgment is upon you, wrath and fury. That's what he wanted to do. So if he was going to go, he was all set for that kind of message. He was not in a place where he could just jump in and engage and be okay with a message of grace. And we've, we've got to be a little understanding with Jonah on this. We've got to be a little compassionate. Think about what it would be like in a little bit more recent time for, let's say, there was, uh, there was a Jewish man uh, in, in, uh, in the U.S., in New York, okay, uh, and God came to him in World War II. And this man had been displaced, let's say, from from Poland or, or somewhere over in Europe where the Nazi regime was coming, you know, with, with all of their fury and all of their violence and all their conquering. And so this man had to flee that. And let's say he knew family members that were taken away into their horrible concentration camps. But God comes to this man and says, All right, I want you to go right into Berlin and go right up to, to Hitler's headquarters where the Third Reich is. And I want you to tell them that I love them and I'm willing to forgive them and that I will judge them for their wickedness if they don't respond. But, but if they repent, if they respond to me through you, I will forgive them, I will not judge them, I'll make them clean and I'll make them part of my kingdom. Wow. How, how would that man have felt, right? Right? Well, I mean, the turmoil that would take place in such a, such a person, you know, knowing all that had been done to his people by the hands of these others that, that God is now wanting to show mercy and grace to. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a conflict brewing there in the heart, right? I think we can understand that. We can, we can get our minds around how that must have felt. Well, that leads to what, I mean, I think... That leads to it's speculation. It's not written there, but I, I think that kind of emotion, that kind of turmoil, is what leads to the response that we see to what God called Jonah to do in verse three. So God comes to him, says, "Get up! I want you to go to Nineveh. Do this for me. Preach repentance. Preach grace, along with pointing out their evil." Verse three. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish. <laughs> It does not say he got up and obeyed the Lord and was faithful to that call, even though he didn't want to, even though he didn't have the the full heart behind that mission. He did it anyway because he was obedient to the Lord as God. That's not what it says, right? You're not going to find that in any translation. No, he got up, but he got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. See, Tarshish was the extreme opposite direction from Nineveh, geographically. You had Israel in the middle, and you had Nineveh to the east, all right, and then you had Tarshish all the way to the west. It was, it was the 
at the time, it was believed to be the end of the world. It was as far west as anybody could possibly go at the time. So there's some intentionality on Jonah's part. You see that. All right, if I'm supposed to go over here to Nineveh, I'm going to make sure I go as far as humanly possible the other direction. I'm going to get away as, as far as I can in the, in the complete extreme opposite side. But, but you noticed, didn't you, that it didn't just say he fled from Nineveh or he fled from his call to go to Nineveh. No, it says he actually fled from the Lord's presence. So here's Jonah, prophet of God, servant of God, who had been apparently faithful to the other times where God called him to go and speak to power, where God called him to go and confront leaders and rulers and speak messages that maybe wouldn't be popular. He, he apparently had done that previously. But this was different. This time was different. It was as if Jonah said, you know what? This is just too much for me. I've been faithful in these other things, those other assignments you gave me, those other missions, those other chances that I had to, to speak your word, I was good with. But this, no, no, this is too much. This God is asking too much. You know what they're like. You know what they're about. You know what they've done. No, sorry, I'm done. And with that, we see that Jonah also apparently is just done with God. He's just done with God. He now is at the point where he so questions God's character and his integrity and his goodness by, by being willing to give Nineveh a second chance that, that now Jonah says, you know what, I don't even want a God like that. If, if you're willing to, to preach through me, repentance to these people, if you're not ready to just smite them right now, if you're actually willing to give them a chance, then, then you're not the God for me. I'll, I'll only serve you if I see Nineveh in ashes. And so he goes away, not just from the mission, but from the Lord's presence himself. And, and maybe in the emotion of his rebellion... You know, not thinking straight. Uh, Jonah had, had just convinced himself that he could actually run from God. You know, that, um, that he could actually get away from him. And, and that he would be in the clear if he just got far enough away from the mission. If he got far enough away from Israel, that maybe he could actually get far enough away from God where God would just forget about him. Uh, but he had to know, right? Deep down, he had to know that wouldn't be possible. I mean, as a Jew, as a prophet, certainly he would have been familiar with David's Psalms. Definitely. And, and I wonder, as I read this passage, and any time I do, I, I wonder this. Did the words of Psalm 139, 7 through 10 come to mind, to Jonah's mind? Psalm 139, 7 through 10 um, says this. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon, where Nineveh was, or settle at the western limits, where Tarshish was, 
Even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. Those are the words of David, which Jonah had to have known. And, I mean, I think that probably those words came to mind. I mean, haven't you had that experience as a believer where you're in a bad place, you're discouraged, you're depressed, you're angry, you're treating someone poorly, you're tempted to sin in a certain way, and isn't it a wonderful thing when the Holy Spirit brings a specific verse or passage or something to mind and the power of God comes into that situation? It's great, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, but we, we all have the responsibility to respond to that, right? I mean, God will do His part. He'll bring something to mind when we're in a situation like that. When, when our moments of weakness are coming up, he'll, he'll be faithful and He'll bring His Word to mind and to heart. But we have to decide to engage with that. We have to decide to respond to that reminder of His Word or to reject it. And we have that choice at that point. We can either respond to the ministry of His Word or we can reject it and go on our way. And it's always our choice. And, and I think that's what Jonah is doing here. I, I really believe that the Word of God probably came to his mind and to his heart very specifically. Maybe even Psalm 139, 7-10. I, of course, can't prove it, but I like to think that that probably happened. And if it did, obviously Jonah just forced it down deep. He ignored it. He put it out of his mind, and he just he went on. He went on with, with the ship. Um, to, to Tarshish, thinking that I can, I can do this thing. I can actually get away from the Lord. I can get away from His presence. I can get away from His calling on my life. Yeah, this makes sense to me. And the reason it made sense to him at this point is because sin robs us of reason. Sin robs us of reason. Church, every time, every time we make the choice to give in to sin on any level and we engage with that and we we obey sin's voice and we do what is sinful and we go down that path, it will rob us of reason. It will rob us of, of being reasonable people. It will rob us of being rational. It will rob us of logic. That's what sin does. It corrupts and it pollutes and it taints. And sin also always echoes the serpent's voice. And it always asks, did God really say? It causes us to doubt God. It causes us to doubt His Word. That's what sin will always do. It will rob us of our reason. It'll take on the voice of the serpent with Eve. It'll say, did God really say not to do this thing? Did God really say, if you go down this path, then then this and this and this will happen to you? Did God really say that? Can you really trust God? Can you really believe His Word? I mean, it is archaic after all. Do you really know for sure that God has your best at heart? And the more we listen to sin's voice, the more we will doubt God's voice. And the more we will be inclined to reject it, as we see in Jonah. Well, let's keep, let's keep going in the text. So that's what happens with Jonah. He's on the ship to go away, uh, all the way to the other side of the world. But, verse 4, the Lord threw, I love that. The Lord threw, or your translation might say hurled. Like think of a, think of a fastball. 
threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. See, sometimes in His grace, God will send a storm to start us turning back to Him. You know, He'll he'll send a storm our way, but it's not as we so often automatically assume, um, a storm of, of judgment or, or wrath or anger, many times the storm he sends our way is a storm of grace to wake us up, to get our attention back to, to him and to start us turning back to him. And that's what he's doing here with Jonah. He's not trying to just to, to kill Jonah. He's not trying to destroy the sailors. He's trying to get Jonah to realize, boy, you can't get away from me. You can't flee from me. Are you, are you kidding me? Remember what I said to David? My calling is still on your life. I still have a plan for you, Jonah. You're not going to escape my presence and you're not going to escape my plan. And if I have to send a storm to get you to realize that, so be it. So, for us, what that means and what I want to challenge you with and encourage you with this morning as, as we see realize this and and see this, is that we need to not be so quick to write off the storm that we might be facing. Don't be so quick to write off the storm that you might be facing today. And, And there may be some of you who are in the midst of a doozy. I mean, you might be really, really dealing with like a hurricane level storm right now in your life. I don't know. I know, but maybe you are. And if that's true, if you're in the middle of of what could easily be classified as a storm, don't be so quick to write it off as being from the enemy. Don't be so quick to just assume this must be from Satan. This storm I'm facing, it's got to be from Satan. Has to be. God wouldn't do this. God wouldn't send a storm my way. Be careful. Don't just assume that. And certainly don't listen to Satan's lie that you're experiencing a storm must mean that God doesn't actually love you. Because that's what he's going to try to tell you. See, God wouldn't send a storm to you if he really loved you. God doesn't do that to the people he cares about. God doesn't send storms to his own. If, if you're experiencing a storm, that must mean God doesn't really love you like you thought. He's not really for you like you thought he was. Maybe God actually has abandoned you because, hey, that's not what God does. See, that's the voice of the enemy. So don't, don't automatically assume the storm is from Satan. Don't also automatically listen to, to that lie that this must mean God doesn't love me anymore. I don't have his favor anymore. I, you know, God, God is doing this to hurt me and to punish me. No, not at all. Um, the storm you're going through if that's true of you, it may very well be a loving gift from your Father designed to draw you back to Him or to a deeper level of relationship with Him. That may very well be why you have a storm in your life. And so, child of God, as you face storms, and you will, if you're not experiencing one right now, great, but I guarantee you, you will, And so when we experience storms, that's the thing we have to ask. I'm not saying it's never from the enemy, that he never causes a storm to come our way. That's not what I'm saying at all. He does. I'm just saying, let's be be careful 
that we don't just automatically assume it couldn't possibly be from God. And if it's from God, let's remember that for those of of us that are in Christ, God only works for our good. But it's always as He defines good, and as He knows good to be, not always how we define good. So if God truly is sending a storm your way, you can trust your perfect Father, who loves you more than we can ever understand or fathom, that it is for your good and for His glory. That's what we have to remember as we go through the storms that will inevitably come our way. All right, so with that in mind, let's jump back to the text. Verse, verses 5 and 6. Here's the scene. Here's this great storm that the Lord himself threw uh, at, at the sea and, and at Jonah's direction. And here's the scene in the event itself. The sailors were afraid. Yeah, I'd say. And each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile... Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep like some of you are tempted to do. Don't do it. And the captain, verse 6, approached him and said, What are you doing? What What are you doing sound asleep? Some translations say, What do you mean by this slumber? Get up! Call to your God. Maybe this God, your, you know, your God, we've all called on ours, nothing's happened, so you need to get up, call on your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Oh, and and what, a, what a tragic scene this is. I mean, here's these pagan sailors that were apparently religious men, or at the very least they decided to become so at this moment. And, and they, were, they stopped what they were doing to make sure they, they prayed to at least whatever semblance of gods they had, which uh, they thought at least, you know, there was some personal connection they had with. But their gods, little g, were nothing. And they could do nothing. No matter how much they prayed, nothing was going to happen. Their gods were nothing. They could do nothing. But there was one man on board who did have a relationship with the one true God who knew his word, who had been in service to him, yet that man was currently asleep, running from God, and completely out of his will. Isn't that tragic? It's a tragic irony at this point. The one man who does know Yahweh and who serves him, or at least has been serving him up to this point, is just totally running from him out of his will and and not of of any use or or effectiveness. And man, what what a huge contrast to Jonah um, being asleep here in this situation with Jesus being asleep in the boat, in the lower level of a boat, during another storm on the Sea of Galilee. What a contrast. You know, when, when the Sea of Galilee comes up, the disciples are there, and, and Jesus is just, he's asleep in the lower part of the boat, and the, the disciples are being swamped, the text says. You know, they're being overrun by waves. And so they come down, they say, Master! Don't you, don't you realize what's going on? Why are you sleeping? We're about to die. Don't you care? You know, and Jesus gets up and says, Oh, 
You of so little faith. Why do I have to keep doing this with you guys? Stop it. You know? And the reason that, that Jesus was able to be asleep is because Jesus was completely in line with and in obedience to the Father's will. And he knew that in that instance, the Father uh, sent that storm to, to point to Christ's own sovereignty and power and glory and, and to help the disciples actually trust and rest in him. Uh, now, now, Jonah was also able to sleep and, and be at peace in the midst of a storm, but it's not because he was right or in a good place. That's not why he was able to, to be at peace. It wasn't anything like the peace that Christ had why he was able to be asleep. It wasn't true peace, and it wasn't because he was in a good place with God. Here's a, a really good quote from um, very, very famous, classic, renowned uh, pastor Charles Spurgeon. He says this, and I, I think it's very fitting with what we see going on with Jonah and what we so often see in our own lives. If you do a wrong thing in the rightest way in which it can be done, it does not make it right. If you go contrary to the Lord's will, like Jonah, like perhaps us today, this morning, if you go contrary to the Lord's will, even though you do it in the most decent and perhaps in the most devout manner, it is nevertheless sinful and it will bring you under condemnation. Maybe, maybe Jonah so justified his disobedience and so convinced himself that he was doing the right thing for him that it really did give him a sense of peace. I don't question or doubt that he actually felt peace. That he was at peace and was able to sleep because of it. But any such peace was definitely not from God. And here's the thing with that. Here's why that's, that's so important to understand and recognize. You know, we've already said that, that sin robs us of reason, right? And we, we've said that sin carries the voice of the serpent and it causes us to doubt God and His Word. But here's the thing. Sin also lies to us and it offers a counterfeit peace. It always does. Sin will always offer a counterfeit and very temporary peace. Because God never grants peace to us, and He won't give us peace when we are obviously out of His will, when we are obviously pursuing sin. God will never give peace in that situation. So if, if you are, are going down a sinful path, you're making a sinful choice, a, a decision, you're, you're doing a sinful action, don't ever, ever by the lie that any such peace you have in that moment or, or being okay with that is somehow God's affirmation on that decision or action. Because God will never give peace to sinful actions or, or scenarios. He will withhold peace. We need to remember that. And I've, I've tried to stress that with people that I've counseled through, through my years of ministry where I've had people look at me in the eye uh, an engaged couple or a dating couple that actually, when, I, when they're called out on moving in together, on living together, on sleeping 
uh, together before marriage and they look at me with a straight face and justify that action because it just felt right or the scenario was such that, that all the, the details came together and, and they, they know that they have commitment to one another and they love one another and they're, they're in it for the long haul and that's all God really sees. And, and before God, they're already married anyway. What? <laughs> no, no. And I, I tell them the, the very same thing. Okay, the, the peace that you're able to, to tell me you have in this, we're just at peace, Pastor. I know, I know what you're going to say, but you've, you've got to understand, we're, we're at peace with this. Then the peace you have is not from God, is what I say. You know? When husbands and wives justify the affair because they're just not happy anymore, and after all, God wants them to be happy, Right? Whatever peace that you have to justify your sin in that situation, it's not from God. It's not from God. It's, it's from the enemy. So that's Jonah's condition. That's where he's at. Uh, and here's, here's what uh, continues on after the captain tries to wake him up. Verse 7, Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble that we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, who is to blame for this trouble we're in? What is your business? Where are you from? What is your country? And what people are you from? And he answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens who made the sea and the dry land. And I, I, just, I just see and hear uh, arrogance and, you know, and, and pride as he says that. Maybe I'm wrong in that, but that's, that's how I, I take it. I picture it in his response. I mean, here he is running from God out of his will, um, you know, and, and totally opposite of what he should be, but yet he still is able to say, I'm a Hebrew and I serve the one true God who made all of this uh, that you see. You know, I, I know the truth about God. And yeah, Jonah definitely knew the truth about God, but his actions contradicted what he knew and what he said. His claim to actively be serving uh, the Lord, it, it wasn't true at all because he was running from the Lord and what he had commissioned him to do. Actions will always speak louder than words, right? Actions will always speak louder than words. He may have known who God was, and yeah, he may have been a Hebrew, but he certainly wasn't actively serving the Lord. And sadly, the same is, is true of so many people who who claim to know and love God, and, and yeah, I serve God, but yet their actions or their life, it contradicts all of that, you know, by, by what they do and how they respond to his call to, to actually serve him. You know, I'll serve you, Lord, if I'll do this, but I, I won't do that over there. We can so often do the same thing where what we say does not line up with what we do. Then, verse 10, let's jump back in the text. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to him, What is this that you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. Poor Jonah, man, he, he just, as the sea goes from bad to worse, he goes from bad to worse. And you see here, 
Jonah, who is now a suicidal prophet. I mean, at this point, he, it seems he would actually rather die than face up to what he did to repent and to obey and actually get back on track. He'd just rather die. It's a bad place to be. <laughs> this is a very, very bad place to be. And sadly, again, that's true of many, many people where they would actually rather die than acknowledge God's sovereign hand over their life and his control over their life, and they would rather die than face him and repent before him and be used by him. It's a bad, bad place to be. May it not be true of any of us. Verse 14, so they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, and that's Yahweh they're referencing. They're calling out to Yahweh. Please don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood for you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea stopped its raging. Just like happened with Jesus and the disciples. You know, he got up, said, stop, peace be still, and all the thunder and the lightning and the waves and the wind just and it's just like happens here. They throw him into the sea, raging wind, waves, lightning, we're all going to die. And then, and I like to picture the sun coming out right at that moment. You know, and seagulls chirping again. Oh, this is better, you know. And so that's what happens. And verse 16 says, the men were seized by great fear. Notice though what what they're seized by great fear with, of the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So the sailors moved from being seized by fear of the storm to fearing now the God who sent it. Isn't that great? It's a beautiful little nugget there in this, in this narrative, in this story. That, that even Jonah's sinfulness and his unrepentant spirit that caused the storm to come was still used by God to draw others to him. God will always get glory. God will always accomplish his purpose, even if he has to go around us to do it. But it's so much better to be used by him to accomplish his purpose. And then let's finish the chapter. Verse 17, the Lord appointed, don't miss that, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Church, Sometimes God does something dramatic to wake us from our sinful slumber, just like he had to do with Jonah. Sometimes God works that way. He he does something dramatic to wake us from our sinful slumber, and it's out of love, and it's out of compassion, and it's out of grace. It's not out of just being vindictive. Don't see it that way. Even in the times when when you are, are far from God, he is not far from you. And God is is a God of such love that he will go to great lengths to wake us up and to turn us back to him. And he'll sometimes do the drastic and the dramatic. Because sometimes that's what it takes, that we're just that stubborn, right? All right, so, Jonah 1. Uh, We'll continue uh, next week, and um, we'll continue with uh, Jonah in a a very cramped living space. That's what's next. And, And boy, does Jonah learn a lot from that. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you are a God who doesn't stop pursuing us. Thank you for being willing to do the dramatic and the drastic, if that's what it takes, to wake us up and to turn us back to you.
Thank you for what you've shown us through Jonah already just in this first chapter. Thank you for what you're going to continue to teach us and show us as we continue on, as we hear from your Spirit. Take what was said today, please, and apply it by your Spirit to where we're at, to each of us, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. For your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.